Welcome to Rich Conversations. Today, we welcome on the show Jonathan Hanau, pianist, composer, all around great human being. And this was so fun to record. We were in his Edgewater apartment with his baby grand piano. We recorded it like right, right next to it. And he has a fish tank with a turtle. Um, it was so much fun. And right now he's actually in, he has a residency near Florence, Italy. Amazing. Amazing. He's so talented and uh, such a kind individual. We, we go over a lot of topics. I love going to his shows. His shows are always unique and different. And I always bring a notebook and I just kind of lose myself in just the, the atmosphere and his playing. And I just like write. I just write. So that's something we did today towards the end of this conversation. He plays two songs for us both beautiful and so you'll get a sense of it and I just wrote it was so much fun and we talked about his previous shows how he kind of prepares we talked about the influence of John Cage because the last time we recorded he's been on before he had mentioned John Cage and I really didn't know who that was (laughs) in particular but I read this book called uh nothing and everything uh Buddhism's influence on the American avant-garde art 1942 to 1962 when I was in Miami last year. So uh, then I was like, oh, that's who he's talking about. But uh, we talked about his upcoming trip in Florence. I, I would love to have him back once he returns to talk about that experience. Um, but overall, just a great conversation with Jonathan. He's so insightful and talented. Uh, it's amazing. So I'm glad to share this with you guys. Let's begin. I'm at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago right now. It's just been one of those days where I just need to get out of the house. It's, uh, it's been raining all day it's a little cooler you know not your ideal summer kind of day so so i came here uh and we're we're sitting downstairs in the museum by the marisol restaurant cafe nice little cafe um so i took the bus here set a timer for an hour and just worked on Something I needed to get needed to get done that I couldn't do in my apartment, just like delaying and delaying, and um, played with my cat, not necessarily my cat, my roommate's cat, Latte, for like an hour. We're just I'm playing with this cat for like an hour, and I'm like, okay, I need to do something with my day. So I find just having somewhere to go to uh, kind of make me put a little bit of effort into myself in the day. Uh, So that's where I came today. Contemporary Art Museum of Chicago. And that's something I need to get better at. I have found. I used to not be this way. Before COVID, I would go, I would go everywhere. I'd work everywhere. And then COVID, I just got a little too comfortable, I think, inside. And uh, I think 
with humans, we need to be social, we need to be with other people. Even just like around, right? There's just like some energy here. And just like different people. <laughs> people and not just your cat. <laughs> I will say, I'm just having so much fun exploring and observing the behaviors and communication of animals. Um, it's been really interesting to play with the cat, study it. Slow day, slow day as you can tell. But um, just being around other people and then especially like a place like an art museum that can just kind of just jolt you a little bit, right? Just kind of trigger some uh, inspiring feelings and emotions and can can do itness. It's a good thing. So my time here is up. Now I'm gonna go back home and go to bed because it's late. They're about to close. So I got I get here pretty late. So you can tell how my day was going. I just got here. I just. Sometimes you just need to take one step forward, right? No zeros. I've been thinking a lot about that recently is don't put up a zero today. Be able to mark something off, some type of progress, some type of step forward. Because again, it's just like small step, small step, small steps, small steps every day. And they turn into giant leaps. But yeah, so that's how I uh, spend some of my time. To wrap this up, sometimes you just got to get out of the house. Sometimes you just got to get out of the house and be around people. You don't even have to talk to people, but just be around people. Be around a different species. You don't have to. Uh, you can play with your cat, but sometimes you need people your own species so have a great day time is short love is real all right we are here with jonathan hannow composer pianist amazing individual um and we're actually in your space yeah, we're back at my home thanks again for for coming over Next time we do this, we'll find a, another location. I'm getting used to the setup now. We got yeah, no, this is yeah, yeah. It's a little different than last time. You get a better view of the piano. That's the thing. It's like that's the golden shot. And then you asked if I wanted it up. What what is this called right here? This is the the soundboard. So when you lift it up, it just okay. makes it louder. That's it. So when it's down, it kind of mutes the all the stuff coming, like when the strings are vibrating and everything when you hit yeah. the piano. If the board is down, then everything is not muffled, but the sound won't like go everywhere. This ensures that the sound goes directly into like an audience. So like when you angle oh. it this way, then the, the everything bounces off the board and goes into like an audience hall. And that's why that's why we lift the that's why we lift the board. Well, I think uh, aesthetically, it just looks and, better. Yeah, it looks better. Say. It also just, I mean, like, it, regardless, it sounds great no matter what. <laughs> Do you ever get this? So we're recording in your neighborhood, 
This is Edgewater. Mm-hmm. So we're in Edgewater, and I'm walking to your place. I got a americano from the cafe. Just like, oh yeah, I love Rivers and Roads. It's a, like five steps away from your apartment. Rivers and Roads coffee, and as I'm walking. It's like I don't even need an address. I just hear the piano playing. And I'm like, oh, there it is. It's not that building. It's that building. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, I was practicing. I was like, he's going to know where I am. He'll find it if he loses it. Yeah. Do you ever – so my question would be, do you ever get compliments from people? On the street? Or yeah. just like – yeah, I have. There's a few people in the neighborhood because – well, because we I have – dogs so i go on walks a lot and um, there are yeah. some people that i regularly see now they're always be like are you the piano that's like happening all the way at that corner i'm like yes and i'm like what did you it's not even that the compliments happens it's more i'm like what did you hear <laughs> because i do so much uh music stylistically and i specialize mostly in contemporary modern classical which tends to be a little bit more discordant we could say <laughs> It's a See, little rougher on the edges. Someone uh, like who's coming up to your uh, coming up to you on the street mm-hmm. or me, I don't know all the terminology. I just know like <laughs> that guy knows how to play the piano. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, they they are always like you're. You sound amazing. like they they do give compliments and they're always very kind. But I'm always just like, what did you hear? Because sometimes it sounds really really uh, aggressive. Or sometimes I'll be like, I'm I need a break. And I'll be like, I'm going to play some Chopin and I'm going to play some Bach and some Debussy and like have some nice stuff for me to play that I enjoy doing. Not that I don't enjoy the other stuff, but, you know, it's like a, you need to like clear out the ear sometimes or like I need just something else that's like harmonically pleasing. So I, I recently went to two of your shows. One was at Constellation last week. Mm hmm. And then there was another one in in like an art studio in the West. Yes, Fulton Street Collective. Fulton Street. So what are both were amazing, by the way. Thank you. Different. Both, both are very, very different. different. Right? <laughs> but uh, so one, so one in the the Fulton Street. Is it Fulton Market Street? It's Fulton Street Collective. Fulton Street Collective. It's a great little art gallery slash music super venue. cool yeah love yeah. that place so jonathan's playing piano meanwhile a ballet dancer is painting painting <laughs> with her painting feet. with her feet and she's dipping her toes in a different paints like purples and blues and and then just dancing on this canvas for like an hour while jonathan plays and it was just like yeah <laughs> That that was a that was a, a core memory for me. That that whole thing was just wonderful. Were you playing? Were you improving? Yeah, or? that was a full okay. improv set. Um, so my friend uh, Louis Achenbach, uh, he's one of the painters at Fulton Street. He has a studio there. He also runs this series he calls the Jazz Occurrence, and he had asked me to come in for one of like he has live he has painters come in like who want to do live painting while music is happening very often it's a lot of jazz musicians who also come into fulton street like it's a big jazz venue and i'm kind of like this offshoot of it is improvisation and so there is in a way a form of jazz but not the jazz that you generally expect to hear um but yeah, Lewis has come to my shows before and we became friends and he, I, I've done improv for him before with live painting. And he's like, can you come in for this set? 
and there's going to be like 20 something artists just doing their thing. And I'm like, absolutely. I love these things. Sign me up. And so that was a, it was a wonderful experience. And then I was like, oh, there's going to be a dancer there, like a photographer, all sorts of like artists doing like their respective like art forms and like reacting to my music. But it was a fully improv set, fully improvised set, which was super fun for me. I love doing that. So then, yeah, so you have the ballet dancer who's painting while she dances, but then you also had these stations, like you said, like, you know, 10 to 15 to 20 artists just having a, an easel in front of them doing their thing. Where I was, I had someone doing charcoal um, art, and people are just doing different things. And then afterwards, we got to walk around to see just the diversity of how this performance inspired so many different ways i was so excited to see that it was very eclectic there was like no artist that was like the same it was everyone's so unique it's very beautiful and then this previous one that was last week at constellation it was you guys merged as flannel yes the flannel wearing flannel shirt And uh, I came with a friend from New York, and I'm like, just get ready. There's going to be some some interesting stuff. <laughs> You're from New York. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's, that's a little true. Slightly, but I'm sure she was like, what? That was cool. I love I love stuff like that. Thank you. Yeah, that that's a new project that's, uh, that me, my, my friend Kyle Flens, who's a percussionist in the city and plays with Ensemble Del Niente, um, him and I have become very good friends over the course of the years and we were like what if we did a concert you and i because we like playing music together um we 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 share the same like we enjoy the same kind of playing etc etc so let's just do this it's gonna be it's not that it won't be easy to play but it's like it's easy to play with you as a collaborator he's great to play with things are very clear when we're playing together and i love that so we decided to just do this project and um yeah, that was like our debut concert because we've done a few like shows in the past for like festivals and things, but we're like, let's actually turn it into a duo and come up with a real silly name. <laughs> flannel. Flannel. Uh, and then we're flannels and we're going to regret that, I'm sure, in the summer when we do a show. We haven't like thought about when that show will happen yet, but I know that I'm going to be sad when I'm in flannel and playing in like 90 degree weather. <laughs> so when you have... You go into these different spaces. You have the uh, Fulton mm-hmm. Art Collective, and then you have Constellation. When you when you arrive and you're setting up, like how different are these pianos that you're playing? Like you practice on this one, mm-hmm. but like you can't haul this no. instrument around. So how do you? What goes through your mind when you get there to set it up how you like it best? Right. That's a great question. Um, That's a, that is the reality that every pianist faces. So like anybody that you talk with, who's like what I would consider, like any pianist who's like in the gig economy or like, is like working as a professional knows this question or like thinks about this is like, what do I do? Yeah. Um, We're all trained or we're all taught like as we're like practicing and stuff to be able to just play on anything. It's like, you don't know what you're going to get. And so you have to be prepared to acclimate 
as fast as possible. Um, so when my te- when I was in school, my teacher, her big thing was there were some big takeaways that I think I just like keep to my practice is like the piano is your friend, which I know is like kind of silly to say, but like every piano is very much like a living being to me that like I am fostering a relationship with and how I, when I like touch the key or like when I like play something on it, the, the way that the piano itself plays as I am trying to get my ideas in my head across that's where I start to like find that relationship. Like, are we going to be, is it going to be a hard relationship? Is it going to be very easy? You're always praying for like, it's easy and we're all going to be great and that we're going to be able to do the things we want to do more times. It's like a compromise we could say. Um, So like by compromise, it's like sometimes the piano will not be able to do certain sounds or do like articulations or, uh attacks that you may want to do just because of the instrument itself like every instrument has its own personality and like weight of the keys is different like if you play the key on this piano it's gonna feel different to the piano that you play at another space sometimes like depending on the the age of the piano it can be very um it can be very different because if it's an older piano, it may have a tinnier sound, for example. Also, the action may just be slightly different because of its age. Uh, if a, if it's a like a spin it upright, those can have very, very light actions, but also not feel that great because sometimes you want a little bit of weight in the keys. So it's like every single piano is like when I press a chord, I'm like, I know what it's going to do, or I can start to imagine how it's going to react to how I'm going to play. So when that happens... I can start to acclimate my playing to being like, okay, these are the tempi that I'll be able to accomplish safely. It's like the this piano is too heavy. Not this piano, but like if I'm playing on a piano, it's like this piano is too heavy, so I'm only going to be able to do certain things on it, and other things are going to be more effort, so I'll have to prepare for more work. Um, the pianos at all these venues are always like very lovely, and I enjoy playing on them. Uh, but Fulton is definitely different to Constellation. Like I can like those two pianos that they have there that I have both played on are very very different types of. Uh, I mean the models are different. I can't remember exactly at the top of my head, but just the models themselves can be like totally different approaches to like how I'm going to press the keys, get the sounds I want, and and think about how to approach performing it comfortably because again it is like you're trying to create a relationship with it if you're fighting it that's where that disc that's where things can go wrong you never want it to be adversarial yeah you're always viewing it as a friend just like in life we all have different friends (laughs) who have different personalities and variables (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, exactly and it's like sometimes you're gonna have like a it could be able to say like a really uh, like so that friend that's just like I need you to I need space away from you, <laughs> just every now and then, <laughs> um, and like those kind of pianos are I there are pianos that I'm like I hate playing on them like they are just a pain, they just they don't speak well or they have just problems with them or there's something in the attack or there's something in its sound overall that I'm just like I'm not gonna jive with but. I have to play on it. So I'm going to do the best I can and make sure that the audience still hears what it needs to hear because that's how we're taught. So how, how much time do you give yourself 
at a performance, showing up to a venue and figuring out mm. all this you're saying. Um, How long does that usually take you? Not too long. Yeah, I probably I probably know everything I need to know to play on a piano in like 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> like I'll be like, like I'll, normally I, I have like one piece that I play. I play this little Bach prelude that I enjoy warming up with. And then, like, I play a scale, and I'll play a few chords, and, like, that's probably all I'll need to just be like, all right, this is going to be a great time or a real rough time. <laughs> Could you do that right now for us? Um, my, my little warm-up? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> nice yeah way to way to make me warm up <laughs> it feels it it's almost like um your body changed in a way mm. like you're just now like more alert or more like you have more energy i woke up <laughs> i was like oh my god play piano especially that bach piece there's like this like really wicked little lick in the left hand that like i love to play but i'm always like sometimes it, it like because it's the only thing that I, like, have uh, really, I guess you could say, like, memorized. But it's, like, I don't play it every day. It's, like, this, like, little thing that I just enjoy doing every now and then. It's a it's a Bach prelude in G major from his first book, from the Well-Tempered Clavier. And I really, really just love playing that piece. And I learned it over COVID. And then that became kind of, like, the, it's a, since it's a little quicker, it's, like, a, a faster piece. It's a great way to, like, kind of test a piano and being, like, oh, this will be easy to play fast on or this is going to be what do you what do you think of bach i i don't know if we've have we talked about bach maybe probably at the bar <laughs> um i actually have bach tattooed on my arm uh do you really? so yeah i have uh i have his signature on my inner arm on my left arm huh. i'll show you later <laughs> like a lot of a lot of musicians uh i talk to who play piano um more more focused on pianos they they all like bach just comes up all the time um i well i love him enough to tattoo him on me but um i do actually i think bach is among my like top five favorite composers of all time um let alone just like in a way influences and like the the polyphonic approach that he takes like i love thinking in polyphony and bach was a master of that to me um What's pro oh, polyphony? It's polyphony. So polyphony is when you have multiple voices going at once, kind of like when you listen to a choir sing. Normally you have all these voices singing, and they, you, obviously the harmonies can happen from that, 
but like it's mostly the practice of like multiple voices at once more flowing horizontally in space rather than like thinking harmonically and vertically because a lot of the time we think of just like harmony harmony and polyphony is more like you know you can like make more it's more of like this kind of flow to me rather than being like <laughs> i'm just I'm just yeah um so i tend to think very polyphonically because i just love that personally from for my own practice and that's kind of like how a lot of that was how i was trained in the end to kind of think uh, when I wasn't thinking about noise, I started thinking about melody and like I just combine melodies all the time and make these larger sounds with that. Anyway, so that's that's polyphony when you have two or more voices going at once versus uh, homophony or homophonic textures is when you have chords or accompaniment normally in the left hand with a melody on top. That's homophony. And then monophony is uh, just a single line. So then Bach, was he like an innovator in that? or No, that was just the practice of the time period. Um, so like he was just like he's uh, just another product of like what the the style and the preferred style of music was in Germany, 16, 1690. Well, he was 1685 to 1750. And he, that was just like how he was taught. So like as a instrument, as a musician and a composer, he was like, this is the thing you have to do because this is what we do because um, he wrote he worked for the church and the church had a lot of treatises out that was like this is how we do it and so he learned from that style and in a way he was an innovator like he did like he excelled on all of these styles of writing and this polyphony but he was also just doing what the times called so i always make my students learn bach when i'm teaching them um, especially if they're serious, Bach is like required in my studio because I feel like it makes you a better pianist. And maybe that's also like when you talk to a pianist, they start to bring up Bach because Bach is hard. It's not easy to play. It's like very obvious when you make mistakes. So you'll <laughs> um, but like it's it's easy to it's hard to remember it because it's continuous music. It doesn't really cadence that often, and when it cadences, it goes into something else. It's just a thing that's like always flowing. And then when the piece ends, it ends. So there's a lot of notes to remember. There's a lot of harmony changes to remember. And like the way he manipulates things gets very complex. And if you learn the fugues uh, from the Well Timber Clavier, he wrote a prelude and a fugue for each key. Those fugues are harder than the preludes themselves. So I played the easy part of the prelude and fugue. And then you have the fugue to worry about, and those can result, and that's like a, a big polyphony practice um, where you learn to highlight a specific melody within three to five voices going at once. So you have to learn to like highlight and bring out things from textures that are very dense. And fingerings can be difficult. It's just a thing that's like always flowing, and then when the piece ends, it ends. So there's a lot of notes to remember. There's a lot of harmony changes to remember. And like the way he manipulates things gets very complex. And if you learn the fugues uh, from the Well Timber Clavier, he wrote a prelude and a fugue for each key. Those fugues are harder than the preludes themselves. So I played the easy part of the prelude and fugue. 
and then you have the fugue to worry about and those can result and that's like a, a big polyphony practice um, where you learn to highlight a specific melody within three to five voices going at once so you have to learn to like highlight and bring out things from textures that are very dense and fingerings can be difficult like the technique can be difficult clarity so when you learn Bach you build your ear and you build your technique because it really requires you to be a steady and a good pianist to execute it well than any than anything else you normally can't hide behind the pedal which is what a lot of like younger pianists do is like i'm gonna hide all my mistakes with the pedal and bach normally is like you can't do that <laughs> you gotta be clear so, I, so I, it's I learned, like the standard it. yeah and it's a great and it is a great way to practice and like learn like it's um it's very uh pro technique and pro listening and the it's not like rhythms are necessarily complex and difficult but it's a great way to just really work on all the things that it makes a good well-rounded pianist i'd say nice now i noticed uh the last time we talked about this a little bit and that's your your john cage yeah, my four thirty three. Four thirty three. I love my John Cage. No, I didn't see. I didn't know too much about John Cage the last time, mm. but then, um, like a week or two later, I went to Miami, and one of the books I brought with me, I bought in New York, but I decided I was going to read it on this trip. Was on the American avant garde, nineteen forty two to nineteen sixty two. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, that you'll get John Cage in that. <laughs> John John Cage, uh, man. Yeah, he's in there, and I'm like, oh, this this is who Jonathan was talking about. Oh, 433, that's what that meant. That's what he's talking about. Yeah, describe John Cage real quick. Yeah, John Cage was uh, an avant-garde, well, I guess you could say avant-garde, but he was, a, he was an American composer who I would say kind of rose more to popularity in the 1940s. Uh, he was particularly famous for one he's particularly famous for one piece that at least that's the one that you hear when you're in history classes 433 uh music of there's a lot of other stuff too but 433 is the one that like it's like almost a meme you can think of it <laughs> it's like john cage wrote this piece that literally is just silence and the whole thing is uh everything around you is music like you cannot actually hear silence in the world unless you put yourself in an anechoic chamber and then where you're completely devoid of any or all sound is completely dead uh you are always going to hear something and he is like kind of challenging us to be like the world is musical and like everything you hear around you can be music even if it sounds random there's actually there can be intent behind it if you choose to have it have intent i guess you could say uh, so like he's like here's f the first time it was performed by David Tudor I can't remember at the university now but like he played it and it was there's actually no time frame for this piece the only reason it became 433 was because David played it in four minutes and 33 seconds and then they just dubbed it that but theoretically the piece could go for hours if you really wanted to and that and so John Cage was a composer who kind of started challenging more of like how do we approach music it like is it really do we have to organize things in this way can silence now be music can we challenge noise to become music can we make random occurrences all of a sudden meaningful 
uh, and he used the I Ching. You probably read a little bit about that. Like he would compose music kind of based on these random uh, processes that he would create. He would like try to randomize things, and then he would write his pieces based off of like um, just he would like roll a dice or something. Like he'd do some kind of thing to like completely keep it out of his control and then write the music that way and then be like here's a piece i had no none of myself in this was the claim in a way you still have yourself because you are as you're writing that music you are in a way still making decisions on like where you want to place things and like how you want to approach that process but yeah he was a big one for being like why are we why are we serializing everything and doing all these things and making music more and more like complex and academic what if we just like anything goes kind of way a little more free philosophy and obviously buddhism really was important for him in that um so yeah i really like i mean like i love that approach he wrote some very beautiful pieces um and a lot of things that challenged others and actually just uh, i was at a constellation show a few weeks ago for a group called rhythm is image and they played a piece for four radios and it's literally an improvisation using four radios that you mic and you just kind of like you follow like the schematic of like the time frames but you normally just turn on a radio station and like whatever is on is on and you play it and so you have to like let that radio station sit there Wait, so you have the radio station and then they're playing? No, they're, it's or like all like... four players have their own radio station and like they all turn them on at the same time and just try to find a random station and then they put that to the mic and like that's what you're hearing. And like that's the music. So, and it changes like eventually they'll be like 30 seconds in, find another radio station or like turn off your radio, stuff like that. So he, he did a lot of chance operations and really kind of took a different approach to like musical thought and ideology that i really love yeah it's like everybody's going this way but what about that way (laughs) and it it worked hand in hand um a lot with um with artists also like the avant-garde artists of like new york at the time and he influenced a lot of others like morton feldman like the there was like kind of a bigger new york conglomerate that like it was like john cage and feldman and oh what's his name course i'm like forgetting everybody but like frank o'hara who was the poet was there they collaborated and like rothko and um oh who's that one of my favorites and of course i'm like i'm blanking on the name great um but yeah there's there was a lot of different artists at that time in new york city who were not necessarily like following john cage's own ideology but they were all challenging that status quo all yeah. of a sudden like new york was its own like avant-garde like let's really and this is also post-war so like everything is a mess and like they're like we're restructuring society and rethinking culture and our relationships with that so it was very political in a way too like what they were doing and challenging is like let's build something new yeah but yeah so cage is very important <laughs> For me, that's another one of my top five, probably. And he just had this one piece that it's called In a Landscape that's stunning. Uh, just a little blip of it.
it's like very very peaceful and honestly to me is like it was written in i believe 1945 and it's probably one of the pieces that people don't think about when they think of john cage and it's called in a landscape and he wrote another one called dream and they're very like ambient neo almost neoclassical style like what we have today like very meditative minimalist just these like really quiet repeating patterns and people are always like they just think about like bam 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 smash angry or disjointed and it's like there's a few things or just like oh he also is incredibly lyrical he just chose not to do that but yeah i i love those pieces because people are always like i never expected john cage to have written that i was like yeah these are like my favorites huh so who are who are the other? Th- you said five. What are, who are the other three? You oh would God, I mean like that's like a rotating list. I'm like I guess like Cage and Bach tend to hit good for me. Um, who else? It is, it is a very big list. I say five because I think that's just <laughs> a good one. Uh, Rebecca Saunders was very very important for me. German uh, composer who's still alive today who has a huge focus on sound. Um, I played a, one of her piece called shadow years ago and it's beautiful and uses a lot of like this kind of quiet, well, not, it's a very aggressive piece, but uses, a the middle pedal of the piano, which is called the sostenuto pedal and the sostenuto pedal can hold chords for you or silently hold chords for you while you play other stuff. And then eventually those chords that you don't play will ring out from just the natural, the sympathetic vibrations inside the piano. This piano can't, I can show you that I can't, this pedal doesn't work that way, but I can put that here. So it's like, I I call it like ghost chords, but it's just as a fun way to explain it to people. Okay. But yeah, it's, it creates this idea of, um, you can bring out a, like a C set, you can bring out a C major chord by not ever having to play the chord, you can just do other stuff, and eventually that chord comes out. Isn't that cool? Nice. I love that. <laughs> There's like so many things you can do with this thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's why I got more into the avant-garde, or just like, I like the what brought me closer and more interested in the piano was doing weird things with it. Yeah. Because I got very. It wasn't that I got bored, but I was like, I was like in. I was in high school and I started, I learned about John Cage and then I listened to these pieces that he wrote and I was like, this is nuts. Like I've (laughs) never heard sounds like this before. And like, how can someone do that? And then I learned about like Ligeti and like composers like George Crumb, eventually like Rebecca Saunders, Haya Chernowin and like all these other like living composers or old avant-gardists who were really kind of like taking wild approaches to like what was possible on on any instrument really for that matter and like that broadened my horizons about what music could be but also just made me more intrigued about it and it was i didn't care if it was discordant or ugly sounding it was just more about like what how are you creating these sounds in the first place so i i do there's a piece that a friend wrote for me years ago that i'll actually be playing at cortona uh uh, in June, uh, that's it uses ebos, which are those electro electromagnetic uh, things for guitars. You can put them inside the piano. I'll show you. Um, but it's it's for ebos, um, credit card, uh, cloth, and uh, I have to mark something like twenty something harmonics inside the piano, 
and you can play natural harmonics from the strings. So a really, really wild piece, but pretty much I don't use the keyboard all that much. And it's great because I, I enjoy exploring what this instrument can do outside of our traditional use of it. Yeah, and even I if I'm writing the traditional music, like I write obvious, like my minimalist albums are always on the keys. Like I still use techniques from time and time again to be like, oh, you like you'd like the sostenuto pedal. It's like I'll do silent chords or I'll do weird things with the pedal or something to give a little extra personality. Beautiful. So what what are you working on now? What am I? Um, there's a lot of moving putt pieces right now, <laughs> but right now I am working on the repertoire. So I'm going to the, a festival called the Cortona Sessions for New Music in Cortona, Italy in June. And I'm the resident pianist. This is by Florence. This is by Florence, okay. yes. And uh, so I'll be participating in this festival. And I was like, I really want to go to Italy. This is a great, great way to do this. <laughs> so oh. I was like, so I got the, the, resident, the, the resident piano position. And so I will be performing with uh, other students and faculty there. And um, so I'm learning the repertoire for that right now, all of its chamber rep. Uh, and then I'm also going to perform uh, my friend Luis Fernando Amaya's piece, Condor Number no. 2, which was the one I was telling you about with the Ebos and stuff, and a few other solo pieces. Um, so that's what that festival will entail, and a few other odds and ends that I'm still figuring out. But like core stuff is the chamber works they assign me and this solo rep that I have to learn. And then I'm working on my newest uh, LP based on the season of summer. I know last time we chatted, I had just finished a, a small EP uh, called Reminiscence, and that came out. And now I'm working on my next big full-length album. I'm turning it into a, a collection of four full piano albums based on the season. So I had written Winter back in 2021 when I released that. And then I will be releasing... Um, I will be releasing this album probably in September actually uh I'm gonna be recording it when I come back from Italy I will be recording it in August and it's gonna be a real quick turnaround but I have um I have a audio engineer that I that I love to work with that I'm very good friends with and him and I did this the first time and we're we're gonna do it again we're gonna record it in Gons Hall at Roosevelt University so I get the oh, big old yeah. big old Steinway but um we're recording it in August so I'm going to be learning I'm still I'm learning the album right now while preparing for Cortona so I'm like So you've wrote it. Yeah, it's already And you're written. learning it to play. Yeah, cuz I write everything at, I write everything now at the piano, but I generally will write it more from the composer lens where I'm like I'm just going to do this yeah. and then future John can sweat you about it later it out, yeah. <laughs> and that's oftentimes very sad well not sad it's very uh i'm like why do i do this to myself because i write difficult music for myself to play then and then i have to learn it because i i was like if i can't play it then i'm like i'll figure it out later and then i learn it and go through the process of like learning a piece and then while i'm learning it i make edits and do things like that so that i get to the final product but yeah i'm working on this album uh figuring out a uh we're gonna do another release party like i did the first time uh likely at space again in evanston so just fingers crossed and 
yeah, I'm very excited for that. So those are the big things is the Cortona Sessions uh, album that is going to come out in September and probably my next solo show of more avant-garde stuff. I'm going to do another one of those. I have, I have some new repertoire that I've kind of accumulated recently and want to figure out how I can turn it into yeah. another more modern music concert. Yeah, that's a lot. You're going to be pretty busy yeah. coming up here. It's going to be a lot. <laughs> or you are. I'm dropping in on him, like, practicing, preparing. <laughs> yeah, you heard me practicing earlier. I was like, I'm going to get a little bit in before Rich shows up, and then I'm going to walk my dogs, and then I'm going to continue practicing. <laughs> yeah. What? Do you, okay, so you're going to Italy, obviously. This is, um, you know, something different than you're used to. How... So music is the focal point, obviously, when you're there. Are you going to take kind of the experience around it and use that stimuli and new information and images to incorporate into your music moving forward, you think? I hope so. I generally get influenced a lot from It's probably not a very linear thing. It's probably just all kind of... Yeah. If it's there and I think about it, eventually something will come out of it, I guess you could say. Um, While I'm there, I mean, the the festival has a lot of other things. Like, I get to... Like, the food culture is obviously, like, first and foremost important for me, so I'll be doing a lot of that. Um, I ate, like, two tubs of gelato (laughs) over the weekend. Yeah, I imagine I'm just gonna... I really like this uh, gelato Talenti, mm-hmm. and their their uh, their packaging. They got this like twist lid that I I just reuse, so I justify. <laughs> I'm like I'm running low on I lost a couple of these, and then I I put other food and stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I chop up bananas and then freeze them and use them for my like protein smoothies. It's amazing. So the more the more talenti you get, then the more the more I can stock up. On there you go. Tomatoes. <laughs> it's a win-win situation. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I am always like kind of influenced from my environment and my surroundings. A lot of my music, I think, is very focused on imagery first and foremost these days, imagery and or poetry. Like, but not. I not I can't think of it like anything else at the moment. It's like I look at a painting and I'm like I will write a piece on that, or like I I see like a mountain and it's like I will write multiple pieces on mountains, or like I like liminal spaces and I follow a lot a bunch of them on Instagram and I'm like I love how creepy that is. I'm gonna write like five pieces on that and like what's, it, what's a liminal space? A liminal space is like it's like a what's I, I don't remember the exact definition. It's like they're kind of there's a there's a weird offshoot of. Uh, how do I put it? It's like a, a, it feels like a memory. Like a, like you feel like, let's say you like look at like a, a abandoned Chuck E. Cheese and it's like, you feel like you've been there, but most of the, it's like kind of surrealist horror or like psychological horror where there's like, you mm, look okay. at this picture and it's something's off about it. And you're like, I've seen this in a dream or you feel like, was I there or was this a dream? And like the 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 line is very blurry as to like is this like th- picture that I'm looking at like something that I have actually 
been in before and they tend to be very much focused on like 90s like photographs or like early 2000s photographs where like you know like our childhood is like you look at like a certain picture and you're like it's like kind of like i remember that but our memories obviously like shift and work through as we get older so i think liminal spaces kind of plays with this idea of like you look at a picture but you're not quite sure if that picture was real or like that experience was real and like your memory just kind of contorted it at some point or like you're thinking of it from a different lens. Hildy, no. Sorry, my dog won't chime in. She's like, I agree. Um, But yeah, so liminal spaces tend to be on like kind of like a psychological horror kick with them and I really enjoy that personally. I saw some Dolly. I went to the Dolly exhibit last week. Yeah. It's kind of similar, right? Yeah, it's kind be, of yeah, yeah this weird surreal. And I love, I've always loved surrealism. So Dali, yeah. um, Magritte, like those kind of Juan Miro, like those painters are very important for me growing up because I just enjoyed looking at them and I enjoyed how weird it was. And I was like, I like weird. <laughs> and I just never got, I never grew out of it. The older I got, the like the weirder I get. And I'm like, I like this weird thing. I like that weird <laughs> Like I want something like twisted and I, I just, it's just cur- It's curiosity. Like I had, I get like, I have nightmares sometimes about like these strange places and like, are like a weird thing. And it's like, I'll enjoy my nightmare. <laughs> I'm like, this is so twisted. I love it. <laughs> and then I wake up and I'm like, I'm glad I'm awake now. <laughs> well, uh, why don't we to wrap this up? Would you be able to play some stuff for us? Yeah, sure. I'll uh, make up for the book. <laughs> No, the Bach was good. Here, I'll hold but here, I'll it. play you actually. Um, I'll play you from my whatever, new whatever album. you want. I'll play you a piece from my new album. Yeah, beautiful. Um, it's called. Uh, it's actually a very simple title, but it's called Prelude, and it's the it's the start of this summer this summer album. And when we think of summer, where is this album? When we think of summer, obviously, I think like laziness and or like like a little bit more of a laid back feel, right? Yeah. So I can play you two pieces if you'd like. Yeah, let's um, do it. So the first piece is called Prelude, and it's very energetic, very bright, very like okay. summer. <laughs> like it's like the start of summer is like life comes back, everyone's excited to just kind of like be outside again, and it's like the world is alive. And then I'll play actually. I'll play the last movement of this album and it's called, what did I call it? I believe I just called it Nightfall. And that one's like a way more of like a relaxed, very humid late evening. Love it. So I'll I'll do the the extremes of this. So here's Prelude. Wait, before you begin, Mm -hmm. I was curious about this uh, at Constellation. Yeah. Right here, this device. So you're you're playing composed notes, right? Yeah. You're playing... What what is that called? Uh, oh, the score. Score. Yeah. So you're playing the score, uh-huh. and you've created this score, right? You, yeah. This piece I hear I wrote. So you wrote this. Now, what device are you using? What is that? Oh, so this is an app called Fourscore. F O R S C O R E. It's actually it's a great app that musicians will often use to like organize their music. I have a eight and a half by eleven iPad, so it's like reading a regular score. And I have a actually a Bluetooth pedal tuner, uh, pedal or page turner. That's the word, page turner. So when I press the, it connects to my iPad. The app syncs up with that, and I can press the button, and it just turns the page for me. So I don't need a page turner. 
Yeah, my friend and I were talking about that. Like trying to figure out how I was doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, it's this thing right here. And I just keep it to my left. Yep. And so I just hit it and it turns the page for me. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So that that's how that works. Fun fact. <laughs> and here's what I'll do. Uh, we'll have the microphones here. But typically what I like to do, how I enjoy Jonathan's music is I just either I'm writing. So I'll be at my computer like typing and actually writing like fiction or, or whatever. Or and so like reminisce is in the background um it's beautiful or i'll be kind of winding down my night and i'll like have a candle on and just write in my notebook and jonathan's music is in the background but then in the shows i just have my notebook and i just write like whatever whatever thought comes to my head i just write it down and i just keep going and going and uh so i'm always excited to attend jonathan's performances because it's just like Oh, I'm gonna go to town it's on this notebook. It's something different, and it just it it uh tickles different parts of my brain. <laughs> yeah, this is a. I finally I finally found a way to. I, I slightly like, I guess like I pigeonholed my my current kind of musical writing. I've <laughs> in my brain I'm like it's just math rock minimalism. <laughs> math rock minimalism. Stick math rock minimalism. You'll see. I'm gonna play this. Yeah. So yeah.
Thanks for playing that for us. Yeah, no problem. Happy to share. It's good for me to practice them too. <laughs> so <laughs> I am going to have to record these. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, it's great. That first right? one is like so much fun to play. That one's not as relaxing, but it's just really fun to play. It's just like nourishes the soul. Aww, I feel like. Thank you. Like... There's a whole album of that coming. I love it. Get ready. I love it. And uh, one last note I love your dark red shirt. Thank you. I love your dark red shirt. Be great individuals <laughs> in the world wear dark red. That's right. Is actually is like one of my favorite colors to wear. So. Yeah, it looks good. It's a good color. It looks good. Well, Jonathan, thanks again for coming on. Yes, thank love you for it. having me, Rich. This was a pleasure as always. We gotta do this when you come back from yes, from uh, we, Italy. We'll do another one of these and I'll another have great chat. Plenty of stories, I'm sure. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Thank you again.